Please join me in the reading of God's word from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's page 1144 in your pew Bibles. It's not going to match what's in the bulletin, and it won't be on the screen because uh, Pastor Gray was led to uh, change it up um, in light of Brent's death. So please hear God's holy and infallible word. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to the death to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is in work at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is eternal. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, context is so important when you read the Bible. The verses that come before ours are all about how great and how glorious life lived in Jesus is. And those verses uh, tell us, these are in chapter 3, they tell us life in Jesus is glorious because although sinners deserve condemnation, Instead of that, we get grace 
and acceptance in the cross of Jesus. And that's at the heart of the gospel promises in baptism. All of us are sinners, even little Zadie, and that's very hard to believe, but I bet if she's like other little babies, her parents have seen evidence of sin even already as young as she is. Though we're all sinners from the time of our conception on, God's gospel promise shown in baptism is that all sinners who belong to Jesus are cleansed of their sin. Life in Jesus is also glorious because God's Spirit is transforming us to be like Him. Paul says we're all becoming living letters for everyone to see and read the good news of God's love in us. So, We've got Christ's acceptance and love for us. No matter how grievously we've sinned, no matter how much we've blown it in life, and our life lived in Jesus starts speaking for itself. We're open books to other people showing others the love of Jesus. So for those reasons, life in Jesus is a glorious life. And this is all for the glory of God. <clears throat> we'll see if I make it this morning. If you read my <clears throat> care pages, you saw that they discovered one of the three chemos I'm taking has been damaging my vocal cords, and they're stopping that one immediately. But <clears throat> we think that's the cause of my hoarseness. I apologize. I was supposed to take that one tomorrow again, but we're not going to do that. We're going to be done with that one. They think it's the least effective of the three chemos anyway. So, Life in Jesus is also all about the glory of God, say the verses leading up to ours. So that means it's about Him, it's not about us. So many people... Even us sometimes seem to be living for themselves instead of for the glory of God. But that kind of living will grow old. And it really does. It doesn't fulfill people. It doesn't bring satisfaction. But living for the glory of God by turning to Jesus, living for Him in the Spirit will bring fulfillment it will bring you a truly blessed life. And so God's Word says the Christian life, it's glorious. It's a glorious life, Paul tells us in chapter 3. The problem is that in our day-to-day experience, it doesn't always look or feel glorious. We can get discouraged in our Christian walk. We can get discouraged because of the circumstances of life. We get down in the Christian life. We have our doubts and we have our questions. But then Scripture comes to us today in these verses and says, Friends, don't lose heart. 
don't lose heart. And it's because, of course, Paul knew for he himself, Christians back then, Christians all ages, Christians today, can lose heart in life. Even though we have this glorious life in Jesus, when Sarah and I heard about Brent's sudden passing away, I know it's a common saying, but there's no other way to describe it than that it hit, it, hit us like a ton of bricks. And I'm sure the same to you. As we thought of Linda, his children, his extended family, the steady leadership he has provided in this church as he's faithfully served in many different ways, especially on council. God, what's going on here? Why? And what about when another family lost a baby earlier this summer? And about that same time, the Johnsons lost a daughter much too soon. And Mike and Julie Spielman, a mother much too soon. And that's not even to speak yet of elderly loved ones God has called home in the last months who are dearly missed and who are mourned. What about when you get news like I did late last year that I needed a second brain surgery? I was convinced that one was it. God was going to not put me through that again, but he did. What about when chemotherapy is slamming you down, attacking the thing that I, is pretty important to me as a pastor? What about for you when the dreams you had for your life just haven't turned out and it doesn't look they are? Don't you want to say sometimes, God, I'm not feeling the glorious life. I don't feel it when I suffer. I don't feel it when people I love are suffering and I see them going through this stuff. I don't feel it when I look at the world. And parents at baptism can worry even as you claim these glorious promises of God. What kind of suffering will my child experience as they have to grow up in this type of world? of sorrow and sin, where God has not yet made all things new. Well, Scripture recognizes our suffering and struggles and says in verse 1, we do not lose heart. And in case we missed it, it comes back in verse 16. We do not lose heart. We is talking about believers. It's about people who belong to Jesus If you put your trust in Jesus this morning, you can join those who can say, even in the face of suffering, we do not lose heart. You can join those who say in the face of discouragement, we do not lose heart. You can join all believers who every one of us sometimes feel more the doldrums of earth and the heaviness of our burdens than those glories of heaven were promised, we can say we do not lose heart. There are three thoughts about that that I have this morning. And I'm roughly looking at verses 1 through 6 first for the first point, then verses 7 through 12, then verses 13 to 18. We do not lose heart, first of all, according to God's Word, because we have 
this ministry. We have this ministry, says verse 1. And Paul, who wrote 2 Corinthians under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, expands and expounds on that idea, especially through verse 6. And there's a connection between verse 1 and what comes before So what ministry is Paul talking about? Well, it's the ministry about the glory of Jesus. It's the ministry about the glory of life lived in Jesus. What ministry? The joyful task of telling others, showing others that life in Christ is glorious. It's the only blessed life. It's the only glorious life. It's the only great life for you. In verse 2, Paul's talking about ways his opponents tried to discredit the message he brings. And he says, we don't use deception. He says, I don't distort the word of God as you say I am. Instead, his ministry, verse 5, is simply, straightforwardly, preaching Jesus Christ. And that's... A beautiful message to preach. That's an amazing ministry. And I don't want you to let the word ministry here make you think you're not involved because you're not a minister like me and Pastor Matthew who are ordained. The word here is from diakonos where we get deacon which just means servants. And so all Christians are ministers of the gospel in the sense that we're all servants. We're every one of us at the service of the Lord as his people. And Paul's saying we don't lose heart because we have this ministry. We've got a purpose to tell others and to live the good news of Jesus and his resurrection. And maybe you've lost the focus this morning. Maybe you've lost track of it, this purpose, the gospel, the good news, the glorious living in the spirit of Jesus is something you need to get back on track with. You need to get back to it. The purpose of all our living, the glory of God through the spreading of the grace of Jesus with our thoughts, our words, our actions. The ministry takes place in many different ways. But the heart of the ministry is preaching Jesus. The proclamation of God's word, as Paul says, implies here, and as he says other places in his letters. And what we do here at Faith is we especially want to support in the center of all the ministry, of the giving, of the small groups, of the Bible studies. It's, it's, it's centered around the proclamation of God's word going out to people and all these things. Um, as wide and as broad as this ministry and the mission and the kingdom of God is, the Bible tells us at the heart, the bullseye of God's purpose is what happens in the local church. Sunday around the word, at the baptismal font like today and again in two weeks from now, at the table like we will be next week, in our songs, in our prayers, living in Christian community, serving. And that's why we're so thankful as pastors 
for all the faithful people who serve in this church who recognize how important this ministry is. But you know what? I was thinking about this, especially a couple weeks ago. You might be this morning as we talk about the, the, the importance of the church. You might be now, or you maybe have been, or you will be at a time in your life that you're giving it your all in your life, and you can't serve much in the church. What about then? And I bet, as a believer, you feel bad about that. Over my vacation, I was talking with a brother-in-law, Arnie, who over the years has been very involved in his local church. But now for the last four years that they've been in Denver, Colorado, he can't give as much of his time beyond showing up for Sunday worship. He's not in leadership like he has been in the past. And he was feeling bad about that. And, and so we talked about it a little bit. And I felt led to remind him that the work of God is not only in the church. It's in our homes, our marriages, everywhere. And Arnie has been starting a business and it's been taking all his hours, all his energy. And I said, remember, that's your mission field, man. And I know I didn't need to tell him that. He treats his work as his mission field, building relationships with employees, customers, showing God's truth and grace as an employer, as a manager, as a father, as a husband. And so the church is the heart of God's plan of sharing the good news. But it's not to keep it all inside these walls. Our goal is to be equipping people, equipping all of us to go out and serve God in every place. So be encouraged if you can't serve in the church like maybe you, you want to or like maybe you have in the past. There are seasons of life and God uses us wherever we are. This ministry is the preaching of the gospel. It needs to be supported by a strong church, strong church ministries and Yes, with people giving their time passionately, but this ministry is wherever God has you. And as a church, my prayer is that we're equipping people to do ministry all over the place, not only the important ministry in the church. This ministry will have results, guaranteed. We're not spinning our wheels in the ministry we have here, and in the world for the kingdom. Because of the God of this age, Satan, verse 4, who blinds people, the gospel of Jesus will be rejected. But people will also respond. And we don't know exactly who God is preparing to say yes to him. And so we sow the word of grace as far and as wide as we can. As a church, wherever you and I are called, uh, looking for opportunities, every little opening, and then we wait for the harvest of God's Spirit to change hearts. In verse 6 we read that God made His light shine in our hearts. God said, let light shine out of darkness, and it reminds us of, of Genesis 1. It reminds us of creation. The light of God shines at creation 
when he created the sun, moon, and stars. And the light of God shines at recreation. We need to be reborn, all of us. Zadie, too, as a little baby, recreated in Jesus. And that's the new birth. Why does he do it in our hearts? This new birth, the Bible says, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And then we take that with us wherever we go. Because we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. We've got a mission, friends. A light that people need because they're living in the darkness. If you doubt the darkness, turn on the news. Open your eyes. Look around you. Look at this country. Secondly, we do not lose heart because we have this treasure in jars of clay. If there was a container store in Bible times, every shelf would be filled with clay jars. Big ones, little ones, but all clay. Expensive items in your home, inexpensive things, they all went in clay jars if you stored them. They could break easily. If, if they fell, they'd shatter, but they were so cheap, if they broke, no problem. You, you make more out of the mud. The jars of clay are human lives here. And in Acts 9.15, Paul talks about himself as a vessel of God, a chosen vessel, so it's similar language. Human lives are like jars of clay in that they break. They are frail. This illustration of God points out that we are weak. We suffer. These bodies don't live forever. Whether some fade away over many years or break suddenly in youth or in the prime of life, they don't last. But, but we have this treasure And as the verses go on, we see that this treasure is the gospel. And it refers to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his resurrection life and power for us. This treasure, this life, this person, Jesus Christ, is in our hearts. And so we have suffering and weakness and frailty, but ultimately strength. And verse 8 and 9 compare those two. The weakness and yet the strength. Hard pressed, but what does it say? But not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Struck down, but not destroyed. We don't have all the answers for the being hard-pressed and perplexed and struck down. But we have the treasure. We know the treasure is certain. We know that it's all for the glory of God, what's going on in our life somehow. You see that in verse 7, our weakness and frailty. The fact that we're not in control, it's to show that this all-surpassing power for living is from God. It doesn't come from us, his people. When we are weak, he is strong. And as we persevere in weakness, it points others to the one they need. 
not us, not how great and strong we are because we're not. It points others, fellow Christians, those who don't believe, to the one that all people need. The Lord points them to his power for their lives, and it's so that his life would be revealed in our mortal bodies, our imperfect bodies. Though we are frail, though we're just jars of clay, the Bible promises and tells us we have this treasure. We have the power and life of Jesus Christ. We can be his vessels, giving him glory. And so for that reason too, the Bible says we do not lose heart. Finally, we do not lose heart because we have an amazing hope. And this is verses 16 and following. We believers, those who put their trust in Jesus, do not lose heart because we have an amazing hope. Paul is very, very insensitive as these verses go on. He says something troubling to anyone who's experienced trouble in their life. He refers to our light and momentary troubles. How insensitive can you be? Light and momentary? You think being diagnosed with cancer is a light matter? Because it seems pretty serious and heavy to me. You think losing a spouse, losing a child is a momentary trouble? More like something I've got to deal with for the rest of my life, Paul. That loss doesn't go away. It lasts. It's not light. It's heavy. It's crushing. You've got to be kidding me. Was Paul insensitive? Maybe because he had such a cushy life and didn't know what some of us have gone through? You only have to turn a page or two and look to 2 Corinthians 6 to know that's not the case. Paul knew trouble. Paul knew loss, heartache, intensely. It's impossible to compare suffering. You know, is one person's suffering worse than another person's? You can't really compare. It's all bad. But if you were to compare, Paul suffered more than any of us, more than likely, if you would read the full list of what he went through for the gospel. Well, so he suffered, but then maybe, maybe Paul's just in denial. Maybe he's just one of those people that because life has hit him so hard, he's gone flat emotionally. And you know that can happen to people. But then we look a little more carefully and we think a little more about this from Scripture, we read a little more of the Bible, and we see that's not it for Paul either. What he's doing here is comparing our troubles to something. It's a comparison. That comparison is already in verse 16. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed with that treasure we talked about. And then, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory 
that far outweighs them all. And so that's it. He's saying those words in comparison to something else. It's compared to the eternal glory. Though our troubles can seem very heavy, and they are very heavy, they can bring us down, though they can last so long, and though trouble can seem unrelenting and junk after junk after junk happens to us and to our loved ones in life. The Bible says they're light and they're momentary compared to the glory that's coming, eternity with Christ in heaven. Compared to the glory of the recreation, the new heavens and the new earth. Compared to the glory of our new bodies. Compared to the glory of seeing our loved ones again. Compared to the glory of being cleansed finally from that rotten sin in our hearts. Compared to the glory of having now a perfect, fully glorious relationship with Jesus. With nothing getting in the way. However bad life can be. And it can be bad. Compared to eternity and heaven And glory, it's nothing. That's not minimizing our troubles. That's showing how incredible our God is. That's showing what great and unimaginable things He has in store for all who believe in Him and put their trust in Him. And so, we do not lose heart because we have an amazing hope. The world doesn't have an eternal Glory that far outweighs all our troubles. Sooner or later, our jars of clay will shatter and eternity will begin for each one of us. We're called to be ready for that day. And I think we will be as we own and as we recognize and as we're a part of this ministry the mission of God's people in the church and outward and find our meaning and purpose in that greater mission. We'll be ready when we realize that it's God's purpose to put his treasure, Jesus, in jars of clay so people might see him and his power in our poor, aging, frail, imperfect bodies so that he gets all the glory. And we don't lose heart Because this life is not all there is. There's more. There's an amazing hope that God has prepared for all who put their trust in Jesus. When we die, it's not the end, but it's the beginning of eternal life. Maybe if you've read a bit in devotionals or Christian history and biographies, you've heard of a George Mueller. He was a great Christian evangelist who cared for thousands of orphans in a, in a famous orphanage in Bristol, England, I think it was. They resonate with a lot of us in our building of an orphanage and support of orphanages as a church. Tremendous man of God, did so much for the Lord and had just the most wonderful spirit in the midst of it. Someone once asked him, Mr. Mueller, Would you be willing to tell me the secret of your great work and the wonderful things that God has done through you? He looked up for a moment and then he bowed his head lower and lower 
until it was down between his knees. And he was silent for a moment or two. And then he said, Many years ago, there came a day in my life when George Mueller died. As a young man, I had many great ambitions. But then there came a day when I died to all those things. And I said, Henceforth, Lord Jesus, not my will, but thine. And from that day, God began to work in me and through me. The way to not lose heart ultimately is that we surrender. Have you done that this morning? Have you given your heart and life and your dreams and ambitions to God in Jesus? Have you submitted to His greater and always perfectly good purposes in your life? Trusting Him, saying every step of the way, Lord, let your will be done, not my will. I will follow. I will not insist on what I think is best. I will not push back for what I think is best. You know what's best for me. You are good. You are holy. You love me. You are sovereign. You know what's best. George Mueller did this. The Apostle Paul did this. We're all called to do it. And that will lead to the glorious life in the end where we won't lose hope, come what may. It's the way to live, putting our trust in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, it's one thing to talk about surrendering our wills to yours. It's one thing to pray, thy will be done. Help us to truly live it too. Help us to accept your will, not understanding always why you do what you do, but knowing that you love us, knowing that you are in control. Help us to stay focused on this ministry this great mission you give us of shining the light of Jesus. Help us to recognize your purpose to put your treasure, to put Jesus in jars of clay in us. Lord, how amazing. Lord, and it's for your glory. It's so people would be pointed to you and help us to cling to and expect even while we're busy in the ministries you have for us in life, this great, amazing hope for all who believe. Lord, we give you our lives today again. In Jesus' name, amen.